world's becoming a dangerous place for us women. Lipstick Bodyguard looks just like an innocent little lipstick, but it'll instantly drop any attacker to his knees so you can get away unharmed. Lipstick Bodyguard, fear no evil. Get yours today, only at LipstickBodyguard.com. Caregiving is a tough enough job. Caregiving for someone with mental illness and addiction, well, that takes things to a whole new level. This week on Parents Are Hard To Raise, Diane is joined by guest experts Marilyn McCauley and Joanne Sidorchuk to discuss the unique challenges and solutions for those caring for the mentally ill and addicted. Join 180 million monthly subscribers who can now listen to Parents Are Hard To Raise on Spotify. are hard to raise, helping families grow older together without losing their minds. I'm elder care expert Diane Berardi. In the broad range of community health, helping family caregivers who are dealing with mental illness and addiction issues of a loved one tends to be either glazed over or silently swept under the rug. But thanks to an innovative partnership initiative between Ontario Canada's Change Foundation and Cornwall Hospital, that's all changing. My guest experts this week are Joanne Sitterchuk and Marilyn McCauley. Joanne is the Director of Strategic Initiatives, Community Programs at Cornwall Hospital and the Embrace Project co-lead. Marilyn is an entrepreneur an experienced family caregiver, and a noted advocate for patients and caregivers in the addiction and mental health system. Together, they are part of an innovative team that is working to improve the experience of family caregivers in the addiction and mental health system across five districts in Ontario, Canada. Joanne and Marilyn, welcome to Parents Are Hard to Raise. Thank you so much, Diane. We love your show and great. Thanks for the invitation to be here. Uh, Thank you so much. And I love to hear what you guys are doing. Um, I think I'd like to start, if you could describe how and why the experience for caregivers of those with mental health illness is different than other caregivers. Yes, there are some um, big differences. Um, There is often stigma and judgment from society and from some healthcare providers. And many families choose social isolation due to shame and embarrassment. And another big uh, difference is that there's no physical test for mental illness. So diagnosis is very slow and often takes five to 10 years or longer. And the faster any illness is diagnosed, the greater the chances of, of uh, a full recovery. Yeah. So we lose a lot of valuable time waiting for a diagnosis. And untreated mental health issues result in loss of relationships and careers and self-medication through alcohol and drugs, and sometimes homelessness and suicide. And when a patient is physically ill, they want to go to the hospital and they readily accept treatment. Right, right. But that's often not the case with a mental health issue. Patients can experience something called anosognosia, 
and have little insight into the illness. What is that? As, <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, it's, it's when a patient doesn't realize they are ill. And ah. the result of it is the denial of the problem and treatment and medication non-compliance, which is frustrating for the caregivers. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Yeah. And getting the person to a hospital can be difficult and sometimes involve, involves the police. As a result, we get uh, the person to the hospital. Sometimes the caregivers right. are, are labeled as dysfunctional because of the chaos of the situation. Do you find, I suppose, caregivers probably initially with a family member, maybe they're not sure what's going on, but they probably should, you know, go to their doctor, inquire right away when they first notice signs of something being wrong. Yes, but often uh, when there's something wrong, uh, the person uh, is labeled as a behavior problem and things like that right away. And uh, it sometimes takes a long time to diagnose the illness. Yeah, my gosh. What makes your population and your location unique? Sure. Um, and I'll definitely speak to that. So this population is unique because it's just so complex. Um, for these caregivers, I mean, some of our kids, caregivers who have been helping their loved ones and with mental health or addiction challenges, some of them have actually been caregivers since really young ages, perhaps even the age of eight or oh younger. So there are young carers who are, you know, just like the title of your, of your show, you know, Parents Are Hard to Raise. Well, some of these parents are uh, being raised by really young children. Yeah. Um, we call them young carers. So these um, children and the, you know, the young adults who are caring they're growing up in an environment where they really don't know what it's like to not have to care for a parent. Yeah. Um, and sometimes they, you know, they are seen as perhaps the problem themselves. And it's a really complex web for these family members who are trying to care for somebody. Right. Um, and as Marilyn was saying, certainly often, uh, initially, especially, you know, the, the blame, you know, in quotations is on the family members about how this, this situation could arise and, and, you know, it's um, it's not like some other physical or medical um, cons you know, issues that you see um, because nobody else can see it. And there's such stigma around it that if, you know, if you hear your neighbor's, um, you know, family member has, um, you know, an addiction right. or a mental health right. problems, sometimes people just stay away and they create the social isolation as well. You're right. You're right. People are afraid. They're fearful because they don't understand. They are for sure. Yeah. And also providers. So when families go to see their, their doctor, doctors don't always um, know to ask the questions or maybe they don't right. want to open that big can of worms. And it, it's also a conversation that take a long, long time. And our healthcare system isn't necessarily set up for that to really be able to delve into helping not just the you know patient, but the family supports for that patient. So what does a, a family member do? What would be the first step if they, um, you know, feel there's something wrong? What would you suggest? You know, it's, I'm so happy you asked that because we've actually, as part of our work, put together steps in order for family caregivers because they don't know where to go. And our first step is around telling someone. Okay. And that's the hard first step because of yeah. the stigma. And how do you know who to tell? You don't know how they're going to react as well. Right. So we really encourage that. You need to tell somebody that you trust about it. And, and even just talking about it is a first step for sure. I imagine if you're 
you know, a, a child in school, maybe you, if you trust your teacher or your guidance counselor or someone like that who could direct you. Um, but are, are teachers and guidance counselors, for instance, are they aware? <laughs> <laughs> um, they're, they're probably aware that there is something going on at home. Right. You know, they're probably aware that perhaps the student's coming in late, not doing their homework, um, you know, is perhaps a, a difficult student in the classroom. But are they aware of the impact of what's going on for that child when they leave the classroom and leave the school? Not very many are aware, and that's part of what we're trying to get out, um, out to to the community is around really asking some of the questions and trying to open up those lines of conversation around these really difficult topics. You know, for a teacher, maybe if, if a child came to her, she would need to know where to direct that child, right? So they have to be educated as well, the school, <laughs> the school systems, places of employment, I, I would, right? I would imagine. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Um, and we, we, we really did hear that. And we heard also when we talked to, for example, um, staff in the emergency department, we hear her resounding that they want to help caregivers, but they really don't know how. Yeah. Yeah. So Marilyn will speak to a website that we created um, for not just our local caregivers, but right. for all caregivers to help them know what to do. So maybe Marilyn, you could speak to how we created that website and what's on it. Yeah, perfect. Sure. We interviewed 200 caregivers at the beginning of the project, and most of them said they didn't know where to go or who to call. So we created a one-stop shop called EmbraceCaregivers.com. And it's got uh, information about the caregiver journey, self-care, local resources, caregiver skills. It's got a whole section for young carers because there's uh, young children out there right. with uh, parents who have addictions and mental illness. And there's a section for providers and provider resources and uh, helpful links on advocacy and resources and government benefits and all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And one of our goals of the website is we really want people to know that they're not alone. Their experience is not unique. Yeah. When you look at the statistics just around mental illness alone, um, you know, it's a very high incidence. Uh, you know, I've heard the statistics that you know, one in five people sometime in their lifetime could have a diagnosis um, that, you know, would align with a mental, um, mental health illness of some kind. So if you think about all the people that impacts, yeah. there's, there's many, many caregivers out there. And so people are not alone. I'm hearing a lot more people talking about this and it's, I mean, for sure it's because we're on the project, but when I think every place Marilyn and I go, when we start to tell people about what we're working on, you know, the, the floodgates just open Yeah. and the stories come out and people really want to talk and they have a lot of questions. What kind of challenges did, ha you know, did you need to overcome? Uh, one of the big challenges was um, were the privacy laws and consent laws. Okay. Um, a lot of caregivers uh, were not included in the circle of care. So uh, we had to educate um, these uh, healthcare providers on including caregivers and, and also um, the privacy laws do allow um, inclusion of the caregivers. And um, so that type of thing. Joanne, I was uh, looking at your background. You have such a diverse <laughs> background. Yes. And I'm saying now, <laughs> but 
Uh, Tell us how you got involved in this. I mean, I could see where your background would be perfect for you you to introduce solutions and be innovative in the healthcare system and come up with things. But tell us how the, how did this all come about? <laughs> it's a great question, Diane. I will tell you, every morning I wake up and saying, wow, I work in the system of addiction and mental health. This is amazing. Um, and I am a physiotherapist by training. And, you know, being in the healthcare field, we're all here because we want to help not just patients, but caregivers yeah. as well, and, and whoever we need to to help the patient have the best care and the best outcome. Um, certainly as a physiotherapist, it was really easy to find the caregivers because I would, in the hospital, I would go into a room and there'd be a patient there with their leg in a cast and the family member would be sitting beside them and it was you know, extremely easy conversation. There was no stigma. It was, it was quite kind of clear who needed to do what. Um, and, and the caregivers were asking, what can I do to help? Right. Uh, and it's, so it's fascinating what I'm now working with and helping caregivers in the addiction mental health system. Poof, they're gone. Yeah. Where, where are they? Sometimes they can be very hard to find because often at times the relationships are very strained. Yeah, I would and imagine. So the caregivers sometimes aren't really there. Yeah. Do you see a lot of, um, I guess, doctors prescribing and, you know, leading to these addiction issues? Yes, absolutely. I think that's not unique at all to to our area. I think, you know, we hear about the opioid crisis and what's going on. And and so I think that's a, I'm glad you brought that up because it really speaks to the stigma part that with addiction, addiction can affect many people of all walks of life, right. of all levels of functioning, of all levels of income. Um, it, it's And it can have a very profound effect. And it's a struggle to overcome an addiction. And so I think the healthcare system needs to really be careful about not placing blame right. and really coming at it from a point of helping and and knowing that there is a family or there's friends or there's a landlord or a neighbor. You know, there's usually somebody who is, um, available and can be a source of strength for that that client or that patient. I, you know, you do worry about it. They have my mom on. They're trying all kinds of different drugs, and I'm mm-hmm. I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm so worried. Uh, you know, I'm like, she's going to become addicted to these drugs. But you're in a a crazy situation because you're trying to help with. Uh, what's going on physically. So as a caregiver, it's it's a struggle. It is. And sometimes people who um, are on any kinds of drugs, it's what we call a concurrent disorder, where there could also be some mental health problems as well. And I don't know, Marilyn, if you want to speak a bit to some of the challenges you've seen for caregivers who are, um, you know, helping somebody with concurrent and it's you know it's really this is where things get really complicated because we're dealing with many care providers in different buildings who don't communicate the charts are different you know what's causing what and I don't know if you want to add anything about that well we're going to continue talking with Joanne and Marilyn about mental illness and addiction issues and we'll talk about what you just said when we come back but first if you're a woman or there's a woman in your life, there's something you absolutely need to know. I want to tell you about my friend Katie. Katie is a nurse and she was attacked on her way home from work. She was totally taken by surprise. And although Katie is only five feet tall and 106 pounds, 
she was easily able to drop her six foot four, 250 pound attacker to his knees and get away unharmed. Katie wasn't just lucky that day, she was prepared. In her pocketbook, a harmless looking lipstick, which really contained a powerful man-stopping aerosol propellant. It's not like it was in our grandmother's day. Today, just going to and from work or to the mall can have tragic consequences. The FBI says a violent crime is committed every 15 seconds in the United States, and a forcible rape happens every five minutes. And chances are, when something happens, no one will be around to help. It looks just like a lipstick, so no one will suspect a thing, which is important since experts say getting the jump on your attacker is all about the element of surprise. Inside this innocent-looking lipstick is the same powerful stuff used by police and the military to disarm even the most powerful armed aggressor. In fact, National Park Rangers use the very same formula that's inside this little lipstick to stop 2,000-pound vicious grizzly bears dead in their tracks. It's like carrying a personal bodyguard with you in your purse or your pocket. Darkness brings danger. Muggers and rapists use darkness to their advantage. We all know what it's like to be walking at night and hear footsteps coming at us from behind. Who's there? If it's somebody bad, will you be protected? Your life may depend on it. My friend Katie's close call needs to be a wake-up call for all of us, myself included. Pick up a lipstick bodyguard and keep it with you always. Were you ever young? You're listening to Parents Are Hard To Raise. Now, thanks to you, the number one elder care talk show on planet Earth. Listen to this and other episodes on demand using the iHeartRadio app. iPhone users can listen on Apple Podcasts and Android users on Google Podcasts. Want a great new way to listen to the show? Have an Amazon Echo or Dot? Just say, Alexa, play Parents Are Hard To Raise podcast. Getting the latest episode of Parents Are Hard To Raise. Here it is from iHeartRadio. It's as simple as that. You're right, Dolly. There are so many really cool new ways to listen to our show. It's hard to keep track. You can join the 180 million listeners on Spotify. You can listen in your car, at the gym, or pretty much anywhere on your smartphone with Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. You can get us on Apple TV, DirecTV, Roku. And like Dolly said, you can even ask Alexa to play the show for you. It's great because you don't have to be tied to a radio anymore. You can listen where you want, when you want, for as long as you want. And if you're listening to the show in one of these new ways, please do me a big favor. Share this new technology. Help someone else learn about the show and show them a new way to listen. So, Marilyn, you were going to talk to us about um, concurrent issues for patients and addiction. Yes, a lot of people with mental health issues have uh, addiction issues also. So um, the system even gets more complex to navigate. And often those caregivers need extra help. And they also need help in knowing what to do while they're waiting to see healthcare professionals. Yeah, what do they do? (laughs) uh, There's long wait periods and, and, um, and it's often good to refer the caregivers to support groups at that point so they can see that they're not alone. 
and they can get tips on how to how to cope with the situation. And there's good um, caregiver uh, education programs out there. So as long as the the healthcare professionals are referring them to the resources, they can get through the work, uh, waiting periods. And with your background, what's it been like for you being part of this team? Oh, it's been wonderful. I have been a caregiver uh, to someone with a mental health issue for uh, 18 years. And uh, so I I have done a lot of advocating both for my family member and for other uh, caregivers. And it was it was like I was retired and, and had no plans to go back to work. And when this opportunity came up, it was like a dream come true for me. Now, you said you've been a caregiver for 18 years. When uh, the illness first presented itself, how did you know what to do? Um, I didn't know what to do. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, we ended up at emergency, and um, that was uh, the starting point for us. Um, and it took, uh, it took a while to get diagnosed and we tried all different things. And, uh, finally I, I took my family member to, um, actually another province and, and got the help that he, uh, needed and deserved. And he is actually, uh, doing very well today. Oh, that's so great to hear. That really is. And you are an advocate for family caregivers, making sure that, you know, they are partners in this whole process. That's right. That's right. Uh, the patient's uh, chances of recovery uh, go up a lot if, if the family is included. So I'm always uh, looking at that aspect of care of, of trying to get families to advocate and trying to get them included uh, in the treatment decisions. Well, that, you know, yeah. Diane, we really chuckle around here because we look at the website, and Marilyn was so, so instrumental in working with the other caregivers to put the website together. But we laugh and we say that it's really a culmination of her entire home office that is now on our website <laughs> because she has spent so much time having to research on her own. Like oh, Marilyn sure. will come in and start telling us about new blood tests for various you know, mental health illnesses yeah. that the doctors don't know about because the families have to really spend time digging in and researching themselves and advocating and pushing for the kind of care, as you heard Marilyn say, for yeah. their loved one. There's no better advocate, you know, I believe, than a family member. That's right. It really, because, we, you know, that's our loved one. But it can be frustrating for us. So these programs are vital. Joanne, what, what are your hopes for the future of the program? Oh, you know, there's just so many different avenues that we could go down. Um, It's completely endless. And there's so many collaborations with other organizations nearby and far away that it's really, um, it's, it's just so exciting what we can do for sure. What we really hope is that others follow in our footsteps and start to talk about how they can better include caregivers. Right. And how, and it's not that hard. Um, you know, we, we hopefully on our website, embracecaregivers.com, we have all of our tools there that are completely shareable and, you know, adapt them as people like. And and we really encourage that people work with caregivers because I look at our, the outcome of what we've been doing. We wouldn't be half as far as we are if we had didn't have caregivers with us. And we also would be coming at this from an angle that, you know, traditionally is from a, an angle of, you know, we're going to design something and implement it without 
including caregivers in the implementation and the outcome just isn't as good as it could be. Oh, definitely. Because I think about all my years in healthcare, but now being a caregiver, how so important it is for my input when my mom goes to a doctor or for a test or to the pharmacy, because you don't realize how, where their voice. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and with this population, I think even more so a big takeaway for me, having come from working in a true sort of medical uh, field to addiction mental health, yeah, is what Marilyn told me right from the beginning, and I didn't fully believe it, but partway through it, it really ingrained in that the caregivers are truly the experts yeah. in the care, because especially with addiction mental health, they see their loved one at home and in all kinds of environments, and they see the roller coaster of the journey they're on ups and downs and they and they can get into sort of the thinking of their their family member more so than can happen in a short clinical or emergency visit right so truly these caregivers they are the experts in the care and I imagine a physician you know you come in and you're talking about what you've been noticing and they look at you sometimes probably and think well I don't see that you know I'm not seeing these signs presented that's right yeah well, how can our parents or hard-to-raise family help? What can we do? Oh, wow. Well, that's a great question. Um, first of all, I would say for anybody out there who kind of resonates with what our message that's there, if they're not part of a support group, if they don't know how to get self-help, if they're feeling burnt out, stressed themselves, number one is to talk to somebody. So if they can find a, a friend, family member, anybody trusted would be really important. Um, anybody who can... Um, speaking to the providers or anybody in the addiction or healthcare system to really advocate and ask about how can a family be included. For example, even taking um, a family member to an appointment, instead of waiting in the waiting room, right. ask, is can I come in? You know, it, it's not always appropriate and the timing's not always great, but maybe to ask the counselor or therapist, when is a good time for me to be there as well? Yeah. And I think another thing is to try to get consent from the patient so you can give information to the family caregivers and also to educate the caregivers because it's not easy work uh, living with an addiction or a mental health issue and, and the patients really need supportive families and some families don't know how to do that and need to be educated. No, you're right. That's exactly right. Some families really don't, know, you know, don't, they don't know what to do. That's right. We have a, a large worldwide audience of healthcare professionals who are listening. How, how can they help you? Oh, it's just, it's just such a phenomenal um, prospect around connecting, certainly through our EmbraceCaregivers.com website. People uh, can connect with us. Okay, We can perfect. share not just what is on the website, but certainly our learnings. We have a lot of learnings around including caregivers and co-design and leading these, these projects that involve a you know, complicated uh, healthcare system. Uh, and certainly, uh, we love to hear ideas of what others are doing as well. We can search the internet ourselves, but there's so many pockets of work right now happening in this area that we would love to hear about what's happening and, and some of the successes that, and, and some of the, the things that maybe didn't go so great for other um you know, providers out there right. and other organizations who are trying to work on this. One of the things that we're uh, tr uh, going, going to do at our hospital is to put in a caregiver center. 
So caregivers who um, need information, need right. resources, or need support can come to our caregiver center and um, and get that support, or just sit and relax and have a coffee. And um, we have documentation like the the rights of the family caregiver. We have uh, a discharge checklist that the caregivers can take up to the mental health floor and all kinds of resources and tools to help caregivers. Ellen, you mentioned the rights of the family caregiver. We had a focus group um, recently. And when we mentioned the rights of the family caregiver, yeah. that came out loud and clear that our caregivers wanted to see those rights spread. In our organization, we certainly have rights for patients and staff right. rights. But picking up on rights of family caregivers, um, because caregivers don't realize that they do have a right and they don't understand how they can become partners. So having something as simple as a poster up in, um, you know, in an organization's entryway or in your unit or, um, is very helpful to help caregivers realize, first of all, help them realize they are caregivers right. when, they, when, they rec- when they relate to it, and then also that they do have rights, and it will encourage them to want to get more involved and to ask more questions. You guys are doing such wonderful, wonderful work. Joanne and Marilyn, thank you so much for being here. Oh, and thank you so much, Diane. We love... Thank get- you. Oh, you're welcome. Parents are hard to raise family. We love getting your emails and questions, so please keep sending them. You can reach me at Diane at org, or just click the green button on our homepage. Parents are Hard to Raise is a Counterthink Media production. The music used in this broadcast was managed by Cosmo Music, New York, New York. Our New York producer is Joshua Green. Our broadcast engineer is Well Gambino. And from our London studios, the melodic voice of our announcer, Miss Dolly D. We love our parents, but parents sure are hard to raise. Thank you so much for listening. Till next time, may you forget everything you don't want to remember. And remember everything you don't want to forget. See you again next week.